First of all, I want to say Shalom Aleichem again to Yisrael. It's been a hiatus that we've had, not only in the coming into the studio, but also just the last few weeks, everyone has been getting over. I know you, you had, yes, you saw you had your bout with uh, Corona, and then we came down with it. So, you know, this is all part of what's going on in the world, and um, and uh, and at the same time, you know, we try to keep we try to keep on trucking, as they say, and uh, the Torah, the learning, the um, and the chizuk. You know, we all try to get chizuk. So. I think that we hearken back a little bit to the great leaders that we had in the past and we can learn lessons from them. Um, I think it's just, you know, phenomenal. We'll be able to draw inspiration from them and, and be able to see how they, you know, they also had to deal with, um, as we always say, trials and tribulations and ups and downs and, you know, triumphs and defeats. You know what I mean? Not every single time was there always a triumph. Sometimes there was, you know, defeats. You know, there were things that we know were, seemingly looked like defeats, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, the end result was is that the Torah is Netzach Netzachim and Netzach Yisrael Yishakir and Kla Yisrael is Chai Vekayim. And uh, it's all due to the fact that from Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, starting from Avram Avinu, but Moshe Rabbeinu, and throughout all the generations, um, there's, there's great leaders, great leaders. And we, we should be very, very... Um, honored, you know, not, I don't know if the word is proud, honored that we're part of that, that eternal link, that eternal Masorah of the Masorah Satorah and the Masorah of Hanhaga, and that we all, we, we gather underneath that banner of, you know, we, we follow in the ways of our Gedolim. And I think that's a great lesson that we should, you know, we should kind of like, and that's a bite size, that's a, you know, a bite size uh, statement that, you know, we're all under the banner of the Gedolim. I think that's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, had me today, after Yeshiva, I went to be Menachem Oval, an old Rebbe of Ner Yaakov. When I say old Rebbe, I don't want to make him into an ancient ancient, but it happens to be that I'm getting a little bit older. He's definitely getting older. And he was a very well-loved uh, uh, Rebbe in the Yeshiva, Rabbi Chaim David Ackerman, Shalita. And he lost his mother. His mother was 98 years old when she passed away. And she passed away, literally, she came to Ertzul and Aliyah the, a few months ago. And she was full of life and, and, and was, a, was as youthful as you could imagine a woman being 98 years old. She came from illustrious uh, lineage. And uh, she was born in the United States of America, but she, you know, brought into the world great, great uh, children, including Rabbi Ackerman. And what was special about it was Rabbi Ackerman has a sister, Mrs. Gitti Eisenstark. She should be, she should good and well. And what was fascinating for me was, especially I mean, a, lot, a lot of people from Ner Yaakov will relate to a lot better, um, is that when Ner Yaakov first started, it was 1988. I think that's really where I'm pulling this in a little bit in relationship to who we're going to speak about tonight, which is part two of um, the great God of Rav Shach. So let's keep that in mind. In the background is going to be Rav Shach. It's going to be, we're, going to, we're going to bring out Rav Shach as best as we can. Um, but um, the, the Eisenstarks uh, live in Malodafna, which today, if you go to Malodafna, it's like filled with, you know, Yugalite learning in the mirror and brisk, and it's just, you know, it's part of the whole fabric of, you know, Mataskol and Malodafna. And, but um, going back 33, 34 years ago, which is uh, 1988, 
And there was this new yeshiva opened up in Malatafta, 139. And that was uh, Ner Yaakov, you know, fresh new, fresh new yeshiva starting. There weren't that many, you know, yeshivas, small yeshivas for the, um, for the Americans. And Ner Yaakov, you know, came along and it, uh, it started in its fledgling uh, stature. We used the basic Knesset, the basic Medrash from Reb Nachum Eisenstein Shlita uh, that we were able to use as a base Medrash. And we had, I think, two apartments that we rented. And um, when I went back today, it was almost like going back in a time capsule because the Eisenstorks, they live in that same apartment in Maladafna, uh, very small apartment. Very small apartment, you know, and especially in American standards, if you go there, it's a, it's a Maladafna apartment. You know, I mean, it's old Maladafna, not even the new ones that have been built up. It's really the old ones. And the Eisenstarks are great, great people, they themselves, and uh, have done great things while they're here, and their children, their family. But one of the things they did was that when the yeshiva started, it just happens to be that it was right next to their house. And they, you know, they weren't hired for anything. They just ended up being like just the family that took care of so many guys in the yeshiva. And uh, she was almost like a, like a camp mother, you know, a camp mother to, to the guys. Someone got sick, you know. <laughs> Those days, you wanted everything, oh, which kupat cholim were you on, this and that. You know, guys came. It was almost like, uh, you know, we had to work. We had to figure it out on the fly, as they say. But the Eisenstarks played a big role, and they were very helpful. And we, had, we shared stories, and Rabbi Ackman was, is the brother. He was a Rebbe in the yeshiva, so... Um, and I was thinking about it, it was harking back to me. I said, I'm, tonight I'm going to speak a little bit about Rav Shach. You know, 1988, 34 years ago. Um, but uh, that foundation of the building of the yeshiva uh, started in a small little place, okay? With 10 boys, started out in the beginning year with 10 boys. It grew to 14, year one, 19, was near Yaakov. And uh, so why do I say this in context of the Godel that we want to speak about? Because the, the real t- Torah personality that gave his full-fledged support to the yeshiva was Rav Shach, Rav Shach Zetzal. And uh, he even gave me the haskama for the name of the yeshiva, Neri Yaakov. You know, it's a small thing, name of the yeshiva, Neri Yaakov, you know what I mean? You know, he says, oh, that's a good name. That's a, that's a good name. I always used to put into context that, you know, the yeshiva was named after my father, Rabbi Yaakov Liv, Zetzal, who was a rebbe in Neri Yisrael. And this was Neri Yaakov. And we know that Yisrael represents, the truth is Neri Yisrael was named after Yisrael Salante, but the concept of Yisrael and Yaakov, which are really two names of Yaakov Avinu, Yisrael is the Kla Yisrael when it's in its apex, when it's Sar, Sar Kel, the Sarim of HaKadosh Baruch Yaakov Avinu is the Akif, and Kla Yisrael is like, you know, beaten down, you know what I mean, when we're the tough, and Neri Yaakov is for the tougher guys, <laughs> for the tougher guys. And Rav Shach said to me, Ich bin the Nasi, you know, I'm the Nasi of the yeshiva. He took upon himself that role, and uh, he gave a lot of advice, he gave a lot of encouragement. And I just think about it, that, you know, the yeshiva was able to grow from a small yeshiva and grew, you know, at its largest, it had close to 100 Talmidim. It's not like the mirror today, but still it was considered a very, you know, nice-sized yeshiva for American boys that came. And um, and one of the things that Rav Shach I write in the book that I felt from all the gedolim that I've had the schus and the great schus to you know to, to meet, you know each one has its his his milas, you know each one is multifaceted and each one was 
great. But Rav Shach was the one, I think I mentioned last week, when he spoke, you felt it was like the old prophets, the Navi, the Navi is speaking. He, what he was saying, it was, it was like the way a Navi would talk. And number two is, when he said something, it was like the Urim V'tumim. It was when we just finished the parish of the parish of Urim V'tumim. We'll say over a great vart in a second. But Rav Shach, he had the ability, literally, when he said something, it was Urim V'tumim, it was... It was the the Chayshin Mishpat. It was Mamish. You felt that it was the. It was almost Kamat. You know, you felt it that this is what the Rebbe Hashem is saying. The Rebbe Hashem is speaking through the mouth of Rav Shachian. That Siyata Deshmai, that Ruach Hakodesh. And I heard a Gavaldik Avart from my friend Rav Shragi Nuberger uh, on the Indian of the Orim Vitumim. And I just want to share it with him. But just a very fascinating Avart. Now the Orim Vitumim was this cloth. Um, we just learned in the last week's parasha, which was put into the Chayshim Mishpat. And um, the Chayshim Mishpat had the different, uh, the different names of the Shvatim on it and had different stones. And when they would have a Shaili, they weren't sure what to do. They would ask the, the Kohen Gadol, would ask the, would, they would ask the Kohen Gadol, the Kohen Gadol would ask the Urmvatum, and then things would shine up. Things would shine up and would say... Uh, and this letter was shown up and would say, you know, Amen, or would say, you know, famous mice is that, you know, it's when Eli Akayan uh, came and he said, you know, Vaychana, and he said, oh, Shikaira, she's a Shikaira, right? And she said to him, no, it's not Shikaira, it's Kshaira. Kshaira, because you have to have the, you have to have Siyat to you know exactly what it's saying. Same letters, but not the, not the same meaning. So it's a fascinating thing. The Urim Vatumim, was the Kayan Gadol had to be involved asking the questions. Now, who was the Kayan Gadol in the times of the, in the, times of the Mishkan when we were in the Midbar? Aaron HaKayan. So, how many questions do you think Aaron HaKayan asked from the Chayshim Mishpat during the 40 years that were in the desert? The Chassam Seifer says, zero. Didn't ask one question. Aaron HaKayan never got a chance to use the Chayshim Mishpat. Why didn't he use the Chayshim Mishpat? You know why? Because the Moshe Rabbeinu was alive. Moshe Rabbeinu was alive. Do no sfekas. You want to know what you had to do? You went to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu said what you had to do. Whenever there was a shah, you went to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, the Koyach of Torah, and the Koyach of his connection with the Rabbeinu Shalom, no question. If the Moshe Rabbeinu was nifter, and Aaron Akai was nifter, when they went to Eretz Yisrael, then they had to use the Orbitu. Then they lost that, that same flash of breers of, of 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 clarity, which 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 Moshe Rabbeinu had, and then Aaron said, "I don't have to ask any shilas. I have Moshe Rabbeinu here." To a certain extent, I felt in my interactions with Rav Shach that Rav Shach was the Urim Vitum. He was Urim Vitum, you know, a bechina of the Urim Vitum of knowing exactly what to say. But to a certain bechina, he was like the Moshe Rabbeinu. He was when he was there, he said something. You know what it is. Our second year of the yeshiva, great story. Yeah, we had been living, we, we were in Maladafna for that first year, and we had planned to move the yeshiva to Arnav. I lived in Arnav. Like this, I was walking every Shabbos. I was spending every Shabbos either in the yeshiva. I was walking back and forth from Arnav. I was in shape then. Yeah, but still, was our plan was to move to Arnav. We had a lot of rabbeim in Arnav. And um, we found a villa on the bottom of Arnav, which then was not completed, and the owner of the villa, the builder of the, it was the owner, said, you know, if you give me uh, $50,000, I'll 
I can complete the villa, and that will be the rent for two years, be $25,000 a year, which at that point wasn't bad, you know, $2,000, $25,000 a month, something like that, $2,000 a month for a nice, beautiful villa. We fit in the whole base medrash and, and bachar. And I can't remember exactly how many boys we fit in, if we fit in 30 or 40 boys into the building, you know, but it was a great, great opportunity. But $50,000, who had $50,000? You know what I mean? To me, then in those days, $50,000 was a fortune of money. And uh, I remember I went to Rav Shach, and Rav Shach said to me, what's going on with the Yeshiva? I said, we have a building, but, you know, he, the man wants $50,000. And Rav Shach, whenever he spoke with me, always the first question he would ask me, he says, Rav Lif, what's Herzog in the Yeshiva? What's doing the Yeshiva? So I always would tell him how the boys are learning, and they're steiging, and they're doing everything. He says, what's is with the gelt? He was very practical with the gelt. Could be he knew me. He knew that I wasn't this great businessman. You know what I mean? I wasn't like the Padovich Rav, the, the Rav Nassim Shvifingo, that they could raise fortunes of fortunes. I'm not sure. I always was chayish that that was what it was. The shach says to me, was going to shiva. I said, we need $50,000. He wants $50,000. I don't have $50,000. He says, go sign, go sign the document, sign the chose, and go to America, and you bring me $50,000. Shach said to do it. It was the Urm Vitubim to me. I went and I signed the contract. I didn't have a penny. Signed the contract. I have to come back within a month. I had to have the money. A month. If not, the contract's not going to be void. I have to pay a fine, whatever it is. You know, I put maybe a down payment. I can't remember what it was. And uh, we wouldn't have a place to yeshiva to come to because he had needed the money to put it, to put it out to, to finish the building. And I went to America and I was able to raise $50,000 two and a half to three weeks. And it was, to me, it was clear it was a MIFIS because there was no way with my fundraising abilities at that point in my career that I'd be able to be able to put a couple of $50,000. But the Amunas Chachamim that I had, that if Shach said, Gei chasme, go sign and you can bring back the money. To me, that was just, it depicts a little bit what the Urim Vitum and these, to a certain extent, really, if you analyze all the G'daylum, they all have this element of being able to make decisions based upon the koyach ha-tayra, koyach ha-yira. But there's almost a certain point of shach was, it was like clear. He was the Urim Vitumim. And um, last week, I think I mentioned the Misa that we had during the Gulf War in 91. Not last week, the last last um, time we spoke, we spoke about the great um, responsibility, the achrayas that shach took for everyone. And uh, I went to ask him about uh, going, uh, taking boys in 91 when they were shooting the Scud missiles, which then they thought was going to be, it was going to be, um, it was going to be gas war, chemical warfare. And if Shach told me, Rabbi Lif, you can bring your boys. Why? He says, because you're a Bukharim. If they don't come, then they're lost. Other Bachram, if they don't go to the Mir, they don't go to Bristol, they'll go to Lakewood, you know what I mean? You know, they're, they're, they'll be in America, it won't be the end of the world for them. But for your Bachram, they don't come after it. It's Mamash Inyam, Kemapikuch Nefesh. Now, that was a statement Rav Shach made to me, and I think I said last time that Rav Shach, not only did he say it to me personally, but months later, when the deadline had come to four and the, they were just they were going to shoot the missiles and we were worried about it, I received a phone call then from Rav Shach's Gabai. And Rafi Wolf should be Stark. And he said, Rav Shach wanted me to tell you that what he told you a few months ago, he still holds by the same thing. Your Bachram can stay. And to me, that, that showed the tremendous Achrayas. But now I want to show, and as I write this in the book, that Rav Shach's statement then was in, in 1991. Ten years later, 
Rav Shach's words still reverberated. Still reverberated. And um, what do I mean is like this. In the year 2001, July and August 2001, it's uh, 21 years ago, um, I had the yeshiva near Yaakov was running. She was ready, was over 10, 11 years old, 12 years old. And uh, for the summer, I had a program that I was involved in called the Seed Program. You're familiar with the Seed Program. is like a program that was started originally by Tarim Basar, where Bachram and Yungalite, they go out to different communities, and they stay there for a few weeks, and they learn with Balabatim, learn with Bachram, they play ball. You know what I mean? It's good for the guys from the yeshivas to get out and to see different communities. And it's good for the communities to see yeshiva Bachram and that are with them and having a great time. And it's... Now, we were involved with a program uh, in a place which was not in the regular regular communities. It was like really, really far out in a place called Santa Cruz, California. Santa Cruz, California is uh, a community which is not really a community. Very, very few from Yidden over there. And a very close friend of mine, Rabbi Yaakov Grossman, Shabi Stark, just lost his mother. I just was at the Levaya this week, also a great woman. It should be, she should be Zohar Mrs. Bella Grossman, Allah Shalom. And, uh, and Yaakov used to, invited me to come with him to this community. We had a Kirov program. We had a Kirov program and we had a great time. Um, part of my plan was, is that I was going to do the seed program. And I took my younger son, one of my younger sons with us, Yehuda Leib. And I promised him, if he'll come to the seed program, first we'll have a good time at the seed program. We'll learn with guys. It'll be a good experience for him. Being in America, getting away, from being in the Israeli yeshivic tanas, you know what it was. And um, and he loved to hike. And he, I said, no, you know what? We'll take off a few days and we'll go for a big, we'll go for a big t- trip. And the plan was that when the seed program would end, we would drive up the um, coast, California, for three days and three nights. And uh, we'd see the beautiful countryside, and we'd go a little hiking, and we'd have a good time, and bond a little bit with my son was also part of the plan. And that's where the program, that's where it started. Day one, we drove up from, oh, we weren't in Santa Cruz. We were in San Diego then, misnomer. We were in San Diego. We had a seat program in San Diego that year. We drove up from San Diego to Los Angeles. We did a little uh, Los Angeles to Ilim, especially the restaurants. We visited with friends of ours. And then the next day we went up to, at the end of that day, we went up to Santa Barbara, which is on the coast. Beautiful, beautiful American, you know, picturesque. And we went for a big hike. We went into the mountains. And uh, the next day we we went to sleep in a hotel. And the next day we we got up and we were hiking more in beautiful streams and everything was beautiful. Ah, We wanted to go see whales. It was a big thing. It was a big thing in my mind to go see whales. I wanted to see Leviathan. Eventually I got to see the Leviathan, not on that trip. And then in the middle of this second day of our trip, all of a sudden I get a phone call from a parent whose son was supposed to come to Neriyaka. It was at the last part of the summer so it was like it was like a week and a half or two weeks before this bond was going to start and I get a phone call from my mother she said did you hear the news Rabbi Liff I said what news you know I'm sitting in California what do I know about any news you know um, she says you didn't hear about the the bombing of the Sabara restaurant in Yushalayim I said no I didn't hear anything about it and she told me there's horrific horrific bombing and uh, August 9th, 
2001, right in the corner of uh, King George and Yaffa Street was a Sabara restaurant. A lot of from people were there. And um, I think 130 people wounded, 15 dead, seven children, one pregnant woman. A lot of people from people, not from people, didn't make a difference. Yiddish blood was spilt. Horrific, horrific, horrific event. So I said, wow, that's, that's terrible. He says, well, you know, Rabbi, tonight there's a meeting in Los Angeles. All the parents, and we used to get a lot of boys from, from Los Angeles, are having a meeting. They're not sure if they want to send their kids to Israel because of the, of the security situation. And that whole time period, there were a lot of bombings that were going on. So this was like, so she says, where are you? I said, the truth is I'm up in Santa Barbara. He says, I advise you, you should come down to Los Angeles. There'd be a meeting. Now, I thought the meeting was just for the Nir Yaakov parents. I said, I'm going to come. I said, I'd do a disappointing uh, end to our trip. My son, who had waited so long for that trip. Okay. Then I was thinking, I'm going to have this. I didn't realize, you know, who, who was going to be at the meeting. I thought it was just going to be Nir Yaakov. Tell me, and then I ended up finding out it's not Nir Yaakov. Tell me. It's the whole Los Angeles. All the parents from all the boys are supposed to go to the different programs there. So, and the girls' uh, seminaries, you know, the more modern places, everything else, they're having me. They're having it. Everyone's going to be there. And uh, it's a big meeting. There may be 100 parents, you know, from Los Angeles. And um, and I had to go. And on the way down, I remember calling my Rebbe, Rebbe Feinstein. I said, Rebbe, you know, you know, you know, what should I tell them? She says, you have to tell them that, you know, for sure these are difficult times. But Lamaisa, if, you know, but you have to have betachen and you'll do whatever you can security-wise. And, but, you know, to make a decision not to go is, 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 is not good. And it reminded me of what Rav Shach had said to me. That Rav Shach had said to me earlier, 10 years earlier, had said that for your boys, the not going is going to be Sakonis Tafashis. When I got to this meeting, all of a sudden, I became the spokesman for all the yeshivas and all the seminary programs. No one else was there. And there were menalim there, rabbonim, mechanchim, and a lot of them back to position that I took. And I became like the de facto, not because I knew more than, I did know more, I lived there. I said, you know what? It's a terrible, terrible thing. And I know that it's very, very hard to understand. I said that all the yeshivas and seminaries have to do a lot. I remember that year we put up 24-7 security. We had a, we had a guard that cost us a fortune of money because... Uh, the people were like, you know, they want to know there's some sort of security arrangement. Even why would a guy come to the middle of Gula to go make an attack? But, you know, you can always be a Monday night, Monday morning quarterback. We had to do it. But I said, the real issue is, and this is what I said, and I draw inspiration from Rav Shach's statement. I said, what's the what's the alternative? Alternative that you're not going to send your son to Yeshiva, or you're not going to send your daughter to the seminary. And where are you going to send her? You send her to university. What's going to be with her? What's going to be with them? Are they going to end up getting what you know this year is going to be for them? Something which is going to last them for the rest of their lives. And is it not a bigger sakonis tefoshis that they should lose out than they shouldn't lose out? And the truth is, because I had that conviction, which from the Urim Vitumah, from Rishach, I was able to give over that message in a very, very positive light together with what my Rebbe had said, and and we stemmed the tide. And I said something very interesting. I said, you know what? In Los Angeles, you're the first people making this meeting. But the truth is, the same meeting is now going across the country. And your decision is going to reverberate around the entire country. Your decision right now, tonight, 
But what you're going to tell your children, if they're going or not going, that's going to make a statement. And that's going to be enough kamina for everybody. So you have to take a lot of responsibility. And the overwhelming majority, I remember there was a certain manalim and a, a certain principal of a Rebbe, and he said, I'm sending my son to Yeshiva, and I, and I know the dangers and this and that, and, and I'm sending this one to, I'm sending his daughter. All of those different people, everyone together, we were able to stem the tide. But part of it, a large part of it, I always remember, was that Rav Shach had influenced me. He said, oh, lenetzach netzachim, that the Urim V'tumim had spoken. Just, just gewaldic. You see how much that responsibility or of Shach was so was so was so a part of of uh, his life. That's the big picture. No, the Godel, the Achrayas, Klal Yisrael, worrying about Klal Yisrael. You know, I always say over that. You know, we said over last time that a Godel is he cares about Klal Yisrael. The bigger the Godel is, the more of Klal Yisrael he cares about. And that's great. But then there's like, you know, that part of the Godel which is not only caring about. The klal is also caring about the pl- the prat, the individual. Yeah. And there's so many stories you could speak about Rav Shach in this context. And since we're focusing on Rav Shach, we're going to speak about Rav Shach. Um, that, uh, you know, caring about each individual. And there's a story that I have in the book, which is just unbelievable, because by the Shloshim, I invited uh, a great Talmud Chacham, the great Meshkir from Ateris, Rav Chaim Valkenschlita, who I personally am a very, very close uh, you did, we met together in the mirror, he's older than I am, he's uh, definitely not more chashev than I am, but I invited him to come and speak, to give, you know, speak about Rav Shach, he spoke in English, he could speak to the boys, and speak stories about Rav Shach, and to give chizuk about Rav Shach. And uh, he shared with with the Olam, and I felt it was just a story that I wrote in the book, and I want to share it with the Olam tonight, is that uh, a personal story that happened with him, you know, Reb Chaim Walken was a Gavaldik Tamil Chachem. At that point in his life, he was a Rebbe in Eish HaTorah. He was a Rebbe in Eish. He was in the Kirav Yeshiva. He had learned in Tells. He had learned in the Mir. He was a big Talmud from Reb Chaim Shalevitz, a big Talmud from Tells. Then he was married. He lived in Ezra's Torah. He uh, got into a teaching position in Eish HaTorah. He was teaching Kirav. And then Aish had a, a very big opportunity. They wanted to build, at that point, they wanted to build a yeshuv in Tekoa. Tekoa. And uh, the talk was then, if you know a little bit about the history, that was Arik Sharon was then the defense minister. And Arik Sharon wanted to build all the areas out because he wanted to, you know, to to have a defense system. And he felt if you have a lot of yeshuvim, so who wants to go out to the yeshuvim? Most people, it's the West, you know, people like the West Bank or the Mizrahi, but but here he wanted to get other groups involved. So Eish Torah was offered a yeshuv that they could send their Talmidim, and they would build a yeshiva there, and they would have a shul there. And Rav Noach Weinberg, I guess, that's all, was the one that was involved in it, and he thought that Rav Chaim Walken would be the person that would be great to be the, the Rosh Hashiva and the Rav of that particular yeshuv. It was called Mala Amos, next to Tekor. Mala Amos, right next to Tekor. Today, it's a yeshuv. People do live there. Malamas. Now, Rav Chaim Walken was a Talmud of the Mir. At that time, Rav Chaim Shalaz already had passed away. And uh, he decided, before you make a decision of this nature, you have to go ask the God Ador. And the person that knew and always had, like the Urim Vitumi, was Rav Shach. So he decided to go to Rav Shach. And he went to Rav Shach. And he presented Rav Shach the whole plan 
what they're planning on doing. In those days, it wasn't as dangerous as it is today to go into the West Bank, because those days still the Arabs were a little bit afraid of the Israelis. Today, they're not afraid at all. But in those days, they were afraid. Okay, but um, came comes in, he tells of Shach, this great plan, you know, that Eshetar has, and build the Yeshiva, and he'll be the Rosh Yeshiva, and he'll be the Rav, and it'll be an opportunity for him, it'll be Parnassah, also they're offering him land, they're going to give him a house, you know what I mean? He was living in, I guess, a rented apartment, as a third, he was a regular, you know, Rebbe in a Balchuvi Yeshiva, you know, he was not making, uh, you know, uh, high-tech uh, salaries, you know what I mean? Chashva Yugoman, Rebbe in the Eshetar. And if Shach listens to everything that he says, and if Shach says, Agutazach, Agutazach, it's a very good thing. He knew him, and he said, It's Agutazach. And uh, he gave him a positive, um, gave him a positive uh, feedback about it. And if Sir Chaim Walken felt that he, that he gave him a skama, good. So he left the meeting, and he went outside, and he called the people. That were spoke that were involved to make this, uh, you know, this 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 plan work. And he says, "Rav Shach said it's a good thing, and we can go ahead with this." Everyone was very excited, and then he went, took the the Shirut back to Yerushalayim. He went back to his apartment in Nezestara, and when he walks into the door in Nezestara, the phone is ringing. <laughs> Phone's ringing, and he picks up the phone. Who is it? It's Rav Shach's Gabai, Rafi Wolf, who we mentioned before. And he says, "He says, listen, Rav Shach said you just had a meeting with him. And he said he wants you to know." That you know, next time you come back to Bnei Brak, you know, drop in by him. Very strange. He just had a conversation with him, so he knew there was something going on over here. He jumped back into the shiru, went back to Bnei Brak, and he went knocked on the door. He gets into Rav Shach, and Rav Shach says to him, "You know, I want to tell you that after you left, I was thinking that you know, I told you what I told you, and I still stand by it. It's a good zach, and it's a good zach for you. It's something very, very good for you. You know." But I want to tell you, for my own Talmidim, I don't know if you know, but I have a shita about the West Bank. Shach was very, very politically uh, wise. And he always felt that the West Bank is dangerous because Al-Tirkuzubagoyim, and officially the UN doesn't accept, and the United States doesn't accept, and there's going to be pressure, and you might have to give it back, and the Arabs are going to want to take it over, and it's dangerous. Shach says, my shita is, for my own Talmidim, I tell them, not to move to the West Bank. He held it about a, a lot of different places, not to move to the West Bank. But for anybody else, I don't tell them that, you know, you know, sir, you know then I might tell me them, and, I, and, and, and they have a right to go wherever they want to go. You know what I mean? It's not, you, know, you don't have to follow my shita, but for my own, tell me them, that's what I tell them. So I felt I want to tell you that. So Rav Chaim Walken says, Rebbe, ich bin a Talmud. I'm a Talmud. She says, you're a Talmud? He says, yes, I'm a Talmud. He says, oh, if you're a Talmud, I tell you, don't go. Don't go. Sir Chaim Walken got the answer that he, now he understood what Rishach was saying. And he went outside and he called the people and says, listen, Rishach told me as a Talmud not to go. But for everybody else, he didn't say, and he said, anybody else can go. He's not putting a cheirim against it. I think he shouldn't go. It could be a good thing. But for his Talmud, his Talmud tells him not to go. Okay, so now Reb Chaim Walken now became official Talmud of Shach, and he goes back to being a Rebbe in Eshetara. And around two weeks later, there's a knock on the door one night in his house. He opens the door, and there's a, a from Kolo 
B'nai Brak kind of guy looking at him. And he says to Reb Chaim Walken, he says, hey, listen, I'm from B'nai Brak, I'm a younger man. And he pulls out an envelope and says, Rav Shach told me to give this to you. He takes the envelope, opens it up, and inside he finds a $100 bill. $100. So he says, what, what is this? He says, I don't know, I'm just a shlich from Rav Shach. So he picks up the phone, he calls Rav Shach's gabai, and he says, Rav Rafi, what is this, $100 bill? So he says, listen, Rav Shach, you know, you were by Rav Shach, and Rav Shach originally told you you should go to take this job. And then he told you when you came back that Talmudin says not to go. Rav Shach feels that you had an opportunity for Panosa. And, and, and because of what he told you, you, you lost that position. You lost that position as a, where you could have had a, a Panosa and you could have had a bigger Steller. And he feels that he, he, he wants to give you something. You may say $100. It's Rav Shach's private money. It's not Tzedakah money. And, and, and he insists that you take it. <laughs> okay, now $100 doesn't sound like a lot of money. First of all, in those days, $100 was, was, was nice. You know what I mean? For, you know, if you were making like, you know, $800, get another, you know, another $100, not bad. You know what I mean? Eighth of your salary, not bad. Okay. So what is he going to do? Shach insists he takes the money. He takes the money. Next month. Knock on the door. Same younger man. Same hundred dollars. Next month. Next month. Four years. Four years. Rav Shach sent him a hundred dollars a month of his own personal money. Twelve hundred dollars a year. Close to five thousand dollars over four years. Why? Because Rav Shach said a Talmud and I took away Shtukul, his Parnasa. I want him to have, until Reb Chaim Walker became a big Rashiva and a Mashkiach and he had a Parnasa, Reb Shach felt already he was on his feet. That's the greatness of the Gedolim. Not only do they think about the Klau, they think about the Prat, they think about each individual. Ah, to tell you, I saw Gemara, and this will be the end of tonight's uh, Gedolim. But really, when you speak about Gedolim, how can you not speak about, you know, everything is from the Torah. So there's a Gemara that we just had in Mayit Cotton. The Gemara speaks about different Amaroyim and uh, that they would learn certain psukim and they would cry. And the Gemara speaks about in Mayit Cotton about, if I'm not mistaken, it was Yochanan, could be making a mistake. And he spoke about a Pusik in the story between Shoal and Shmuel. At one point, Shaul wanted to know what he should do about going to war. Didn't know what to do. And he called up Shmuel's neshama. And he used Kishuf. Which the whole shayla, how he used Kishuf. That's another shayla. And when he brought him about, he brought him about, it says, it says Shmuel came. And the Lashon of the Gemara is, he came to Oilim. Oilim. He was Oilim, not Oilim. And he says, why are you calling me up? He got very frightened. The, the Pusik says he got frightened. Tergazuni, the Lashon of this, he got very frightened. And if you go through the Shakta Tire, the Gemara, the Gemara says, who did he come with? Shmuel came together with Moshe Rabbeinu. And he said, why are you bringing me over here? Why? Because maybe I did something wrong. Why was I called up from the wherever I was in the Bezden Shomal? I was sitting in the base measures. Why was I called down over here for this Kishu of Maizah to go tell you what to do? Mastami, I was called because I did something wrong. So I'm bringing, I want to bring Moshe Rabbeinu along that he should be made 
that I didn't do anything which the Torah didn't tell me to do. So I heard over Gavalikavort that I heard the Chassam Seifer said that the Chassam Seifer said you have to go bring Moshe Rabbeinu. The Rebbeinuim knows what the Cheshbon is. Rebbeinuim knows what the Cheshbon is. But if you, go, if you didn't do anything wrong, then then everything's all right, because we know Shmuel's children went off to Derech, and he was worried about that, but not because of him. That, that was their own bechira. What the, where they went off. So why did he bring Moshe Rabbeinu? So there's a Gavaldika insight, which is a tif of tif of art, but it's worthwhile to say over that the um, we know there's two dinim for a person. One is when a person leaves this world, he goes to the Yom Adin and he's judged for, for his different actions, what he did. But then this was called the Yom Adin Agado, before Mashiach comes, right? Before Tchias Hamesim, after Mashiach comes, before Tchias Hamesim, it'll be Yom Adin Agado. Then you judge for everything. What is it? You already judged once. You were judged once when you left this world. 120 years, you left the world because Baruch made a judgment. You got the Elamava. We make another judgment again. What's this? What's this double jeopardy over here? You get two? You get two? Unbelievable pshat. The pshat is like this a person leaves this world, he's judged for 120 years he was here. His actions, everyone's, uh, we all have to go to the best of my We have what to do, tshuva. But then there's what's called the Yom Adin Agal. The Yom Adin Agal is like this. Every single person, it's not just uh, what he did for himself. It's how he affected others. And how he affected others, not just how he affected others. It's how he affected others and how those others affected others and how those other affected others. Ad Saif Because if you were able to do one good thing to save one person, and that person saved another person, that person saved another person, then you're going to get scarred for that. If you did something which you shouldn't have done and that affected a person negatively, oh, then that affected another person, another person, another person. So the only way you can finally full, see the full perspective is only at the end of time. When before Tchiyas HaMesim, we're going to shots up how everything reflected in the world, we're all part of this ability to have a positive or chas a negative. Shmuel was worried. He said, that, you know, I, don't know, I got through the Bezden, through the Bezden to get into Olam Haba. But maybe now my children are doing things and maybe I did have an effect upon them. That's why he needed to bring Moshe Rabbeinu down, that Moshe Rabbeinu should be made that no, that everything that he did was 100% proper and he should not be worried. But he was worried. He was worried. Rabbi said, the good dog, I think, when I look at it in the, in the context of Rav Shach as just a, a, one of the great Gedolim that we were merited to have, and the Shusa Yoga Leinu, how he affected all of us, the Olam HaTayru, Olam HaYeshivas, in the Klal, and the Prat, Lenetzach Netzachim, there's no question in my mind, he's he's in the Bezen Shomala, and he'll be in the Bezen Shomala, but But all of us, the lesson that we should all learn from is that all of us have the ability to be a Gadol. As I said in the Yeshiva yesterday, in the Shmuz, no one's got, you don't have to be Rav Shach, you don't have to be Rav Shiva, you could be an electrician. You could be a person that on the sports field, yeah, plays like a mensch. That's what it is. You could be a person that's honest in business and everyone knows his word can be trusted. Those are the things which a guttle would do. And all of us have the ability to rise up and to be 
if not a big gadol like Rashach, to be a small gadol. Like we said, today is, was uh, Yom Kippur, was a uh, Purim cotton. And we always like to say that, you know, people, there's a big, you know, simcha, and we brought down yesterday, we said, there's even in Yitzhak, some people say you should have a mishtav simcha, and some people bought wine, people have a lachayim. We always say that, that Purim cotton, zak cotton gadol to This Purim, it should be great, Mitzvah Shem, 30 days from now we have a big one. So this is the um, message we want to give to everybody. And I'm, uh, again, very, very thankful to Yisrael and Jay Foundations and and the podcast. And uh, looking forward to continuing the series, Mirza Hashem. Wishing everyone a good evening. Thank you very much for listening. We want to thank jfoundations.com. If you could sponsor any of our activities, be another way of addressing and being able to give over Torah to other people. Go on the website and show your support. Thank you very much for joining us.